and welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink the impact of magic on the world of D&D. I'm your host, Benjamin Huffman, game designer and writer. You might also know me as Sterling Berman or the Sterling Berman Adventuring Company. I'm Dane, a dungeon master, podcaster, and voice actor. What are we talking about today, Benjamin? Today we're going to be talking about the spell Speak with Animals. It's probably mm. a spell uh, you've used in your game before, but it's also probably a spell you have not given a lot of thought to. When I think of Speak with Animals, I always think of like a first time player being mm. like, I want to talk to that bunny. Absolutely. And not really having a, <laughs> a plan about it and just being like, I want to talk to this dog right now. Like what's going on with this dog right now? And then the DM has to come up with some name for the dog and some personality. And that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of it. It's definitely the exact same thing of where the party's in a tavern and they're just like, what's that person doing? Mm-hmm. I want to go talk to that person. You see an animal. Oh, the DM said an animal was here. I guess I should cast this spell. Let's uh, run down the specifics of the spell, right? So Speak with Animals is a first level divination spell with the ritual tag available to bards, druids, and rangers. It takes an action to cast, has a range of self, and a duration of 10 minutes. Specifically, the spell text says, you gain the ability to comprehend and verbally communicate with beasts for the duration. The knowledge and awareness of many beasts is limited by their intelligence, but at minimum, beasts can give you information about nearby locations and monsters, including whatever they can perceive or have perceived within the past day. You might be able to persuade a beast to perform a small favor for you at the GM's discretion. Hey, this is what you can use it for. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's kind of weird. I think when I reread it, I don't think I realized that it was as prescriptive no matter who what animal you use it on it's going to remember things within the last day it almost feels like it's written to hedge you against a dm that's trying to make it useless especially the persuade a beast to perform a small favor that's almost to the dm being like they can do this listen hey listen up yeah this is what they're going to try and do and it's fun and you should let them do it but it's also really strange because to me that's obvious like yeah. if i can talk to a dog and i can say hey dude Go do this and you get a whole T-bone steak. Bark, bark, bark. Right. I'm on it. I'm, I'm probably going to bring this up a couple of times, but I have a theory about D&D in that when it started, it was very adversarial between the DM and the players. It's become a collaborative storytelling experience, an improvisation of people trying to have fun together. But it seems to me, and I didn't, you know, I didn't play in the 80s. I wasn't born until the late 80s. It seems to me back then it was like, who can outsmart who? Can the DM outsmart their players? Can the players outthink the DM? And this seems to be an artifact of that where they're like DMs, DMs, let them have fun. And then also players, you can have fun with this. This is some ways you can have fun with it, which isn't terrible i think that being specific about your spells is fine it invites people to play around with it yeah i mean i think probably it's that the kind of emergent gameplay around this is so dizzying that maybe giving some guidance about what they imagined this would do was a way of both hedging against dms making it useless but also against them spinning it out of control them spinning out of control which is pretty much the whole thing we're talking about today yeah spinning it like way way out of control what's one way that you can see this spinning out of control i guess so 
We'll start small. The first thing I do want to just double back on, though, is that this is a ritual spell, which means mm -hmm. that for ritual casters, this does not cost a spell slot. They can just basically have this up, well, most of a day. Like, it takes them 10 minutes to cast a ritual, and then the duration is for 10 minutes. So basically half of every hour, they can be talking to animals. Okay, so that's a lot of talking to animals every day. So that's important. Because in a world where speak with animals exists, basically means that every single animal is a spy. Mm, potential spy, yeah. If the movement of troops, it would be impossible to conceal. There's no way you're going to move troops through outside of some pretty big magic. Yeah, I mean, like a wish spell or something. Like, I wish no animals <laughs> would notice us walking through here or something. A bunch of invisibility spells, some greater invisibility on each troop member, you know, something wild. Well, but even then, there are wolves around. They're going to smell. Smelling. They're smelling. Creep, yeah. You know, people are going to go to the bathroom. There's going to be all people sorts of. People go to the bathroom in D&D? Animals are going to know that troops are moving through the area. So then, like, if you narrow in on an even, like, smaller scale, there's the fact that, like, in any major city, you would for sure, for sure want to have somebody in the city guard who can speak with animals because i would guess 80 percent of your crimes get solved just by being like hey dog what happened over in this alley last night <laughs> i'll give you a t-bone yeah the I'll meat give you a merchant is just going nuts because of all the right. t-bones that they're throwing out i don't even know really how crime could i mean in other episodes we'll talk about crime existing but in the context of this spell I don't even know how crime happens yeah, I in mean, D&D if the, animals can tattle on you. For one thing, within the past day is one, right? But I feel like that was the spell saying the minimum they can tell you is in the last day. No, like if an okay. animal normally has a memory that lasts longer than a day. I guess that is a kind of a throttle that the DM can employ. And you're talking about like real world application, right? So dogs may have a certain amount of actual memory, but when it comes down to it, we're talking about DMs controlling the information for a world to work at all and have fun things like crime. A DM's going to have to throttle that down to be like, well, it's kind of a dumb dog and only remembers within the last week. Now we're relying on the word of this guard who can speak with animals who is corruptible and that dog who knows that dog may be corruptible as well like, yeah okay that was just coming to me as you were talking about this <laughs> i had not thought about that at all it was not in my notes but of course thieves guilds plant animals yeah. near the scenes of crime i i saw nothing like, to I, yeah, to either say they didn't see anything to accuse like the enemy thieves guild or like bow wow bow wow i saw yeah. nothing i squawk, mean squawk that is wild. That yeah, is that is pretty fun. So thinking about this, because I I, re I read your notes, Benjamin, I read your notes. Yeah. What if a big city, they just have caged birds on each corner? Uh-huh. And they are government-sanctioned birds that are seeing it all, right? Right. You've trained them since they were chicks. And this is this is what diving into a spell like this can really deepen your world because now suddenly you're in a city with a bunch of fucking caged birds that are right. tattling on everyone there's eyes and ears everywhere because the speak with animals person has these trained parakeets <laughs> man yeah, that's really incredible. I mean, you still have the opportunity to like corrupt those mm -hmm. those birds. Like, but I it's mean, hard. It's it hard if if they're hard, imprinted yeah. on you, if they're trained by you know, like a what's a what's a hawk person called? You know, like come here, hawk. Well, I mean, there's a falconer. Falconer, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
I guess if they have falcons. That's what I would assume. A hawkener. A hawkener. <laughs> so they they have a very close bond, right? You're not going to corrupt something right. with that close a bond. But it, it does invite these really interesting questions that if you are a DM, you want to answer these questions. And that just makes your world so much bigger and so much more specific and so much more fun yeah. to play in. The one thing I definitely had thought of was that in any world where this exists and where they're being used as basically tattletales on criminals is that the legal system would have to adjust for the testimony of animals mm -hmm. to be admissible right. in their justice system, which would also is like kind of a wild thing to imagine. Because like animals can't take the stand because only the person who cast the spell mm -hmm understands your speech you'd also have this weird like not only is animal testimony admissible but you have to zone of truth each and every one of them <laughs> well oh yeah i guess you have to zone of truth the animal you'd have but then to also but then also the interpreter like the person yeah. who casts speak with animals i guess you'd have to always have at least two speak with animals people to double check yeah to like double check what the other person is and if they're both assholes then you're like oh man why they gotta come in pairs yeah. <laughs> i gotta deal with both of these bozos so that's some of the the craziness that can happen just on the rule of law um, right. but what else do you think about when it comes to speak with animals so what we've talked about so far even though it's already got some pretty awesome setting implications mm -hmm is small potatoes because <laughs> yeah when you think about what this spell facilitates i don't know how long it took humans to domesticate animals. domesticate right. animals like various kinds of animals but if you could talk to them i would guess three generations max yeah and they're they're working for you and they're again working that for bond you. then you have whole oxen families dynasties that is working with another family we are we are bonded the right. ox and, and, the and, and not only are they domesticated but you can talk to them mm -hmm. and you can create kind of complicated contracts or agreements mm -hmm. enterprising merchants or governments if they could hire enough people who could speak with animals Animals become a viable replacement for your labor force, mm -hmm. for your armies, for your navy. Talking about this, we kind of have to ask the motivations of animals. I think humans have a lot of motivations. We're complex. Mm -hmm. Animals tend to want to eat, sleep, reproduce. I would say, in general, if you satisfy those things for an animal, you're kind of good to go. If you're like, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to house you, and you're going to have you're going to have a family, and that family's going to be doing great. Now, if you mistreat these animals, then of course they're intelligent enough to not want to be around, especially if you're talking to them. In general, if you satisfy those three things, I, I think one generation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I was even thinking, I said three generations, but then I watched some short documentary on an effort in Russia to domesticate foxes, and they were able to do it in three generations. So if you can do that without magic in three generations, probably two, maybe even just the first year of partnership. Because, as, as long as you fulfill your end and right. you maintain that trust with an animal, their intelligence would suggest that they're going to stick with you. One really wild thing about this, I mean, and this is going to vary so much by DM, like I tend to believe that animals are more intelligent than we give them credit for and that Fair their enough. Yeah. internal life is more complicated, their social structures are more complicated than we give them credit for. 
I mean, there has been research that shows that bugs have a persistent personality across their whole life. Oh, no kidding. Oh, that's cool. Bugs that are anxious or fearful are anxious and fearful throughout the course of their life. Yeah. Or who are courageous, you know, are courageous throughout their whole life. And so if it's the case that there's things that we think of as basic as insects Mm -hmm. that have persistent personalities across their whole life, I just have to imagine that once you get up to mammals, birds, reptiles, octopus, well, yeah, certainly octopi, it would get complicated. Yeah. There's going to be like a whole range basically of animal levels of intelligence. Well, and just as people vary in intelligence levels, you're going to vary in intelligence levels per animal. And then, you know, when I really thought about, well, what would it mean if you could talk to animals, not just do the things that domesticated animals do, but actually get them to do more complicated labor than domesticated animals do. Because you can actually tell mm-hmm. them, like, actually, specifically, I want you to do this. Manipulate this, this tool in this right. way. Or when they start joining your army, and not just in this way where you have to train them into something, but you just tell mm-hmm. them the bad guys are going to look like this, go kill them. At what point does the line between humanoid and animal start to blur then? Because they're performing the same functions in society, at least some of the same functions in society. When's an animal they're- a person? Right. That's a non-human personhood is an idea that exists in our world that's for creatures uh, who are so intelligent or have their own will. And I feel like this kind of goes to how many people can talk to these animals. Right. How many of these animals are being personified. (laughs) For sure. Except for that. Also, even for the people who can't speak with them, they're like, they might be competing for jobs with animals. Guard dog and guard. Right. Guard dogs and guards might be competing. And truthfully, like guard dogs are probably a lot cheaper to hire. Guard dogs, you give them room and board and you're ready to go. You don't have to pay them. In general, anything you could teach an animal to do or get an animal to do, there's suddenly a competition between whether a humanoid is going to take that job or a beast. And then that comes with resentment. That comes with people who are anti-animal all of a sudden. They're taking our jobs. So... It gets very messy very quickly. And that's why I go back to the DM as the throttle. Our aim here is to spin this as out of control as we possibly can, right? We, we're thinking if we take this to the nth degree, what can happen? And a lot of really interesting things can happen, but a lot of world-breaking things can happen too. Answering these questions, well, why isn't it spinning it into all of these crazy things? And that's where you can take it to some really fun places. For example, I thought of, well, who says that these spells have to have been created since forever? What if Speak With Animals is a fairly new spell? What if in your world, it came out last year. It's a brand new spell. Everyone come get it. There's lines out the spell store down the block because everybody wants this crazy new Speak With Animals spell. Or maybe only one in a thousand billion people can cast the spell. And the person in your party is the one is the one who has this innate ability. And it's not even all druids, not even all rangers. To answer the questions of why it's not spinning out of control will deepen your world in really interesting ways. Yeah, I'd never, for some reason, it had never really occurred to me that spells exist in time, that like there can be a time before a spell exists. It goes without saying that they're always and forever and they're ancient, that these spells have always existed. But who's to say that they did? I think that is a really good way if you maybe agree with how as a thought experiment these things play out Mm -hmm. and you just don't want to do that in your setting. It is it is an interesting way to, to have the spell exist but to not have that kind of outcome. 
you know, we got into a little bit about how humanoids and, and beasts might start competing for the same jobs, that mm-hmm. there would eventually be some like questions about, you know, can animals supply testimony against mm-hmm. people for having committed crimes? I think ultimately it would lead to a question of how integrated to make beasts into society. Mm-hmm. So there's the question of, you know, legal status as, as personhood, but then also like, are they citizens? Do they have mm-hmm. full rights? And different kingdoms, different regions nearby might have different answers to those 100%. questions. Yeah. And so even beyond like conflict within a society, you would also have conflict between neighboring societies mm-hmm. in terms of who they're willing to treat as a person and who they're not. And what many, maybe some kingdoms do completely outlaw the spell or really limit it because they don't want all these complications or disruptions. Sure. Uh, while the neighboring region is greatly benefiting from the fact that all their farming is being done by animals. I think it would be an interesting game where all animals have a higher intelligence. So they have their own societies and then personhood is inherent. And then I see societies making coalitions with like the bears and that's their martial superiority is is suddenly because they have the bears on their side, which is a really fun concept in my mind. (laughs) Um, Yeah. When you start to think about how beasts might be integrated into society, you start to think about how they get absorbed into human politics mm -hmm. in this way. That's like suddenly... Maybe clerics want to proselytize to animals. They yeah. want to convert animals to the worship of their gods. That's wild to think about. <laughs> that a cleric would literally go out and, wild animals and give a sermon to like pigs or something yeah. to like try to convert them. Just different factions, different political groups. My, I mean, I don't think democracy is super common in the worlds of D anD. d But no. you can imagine that there might be political parties that form or you know, try to recruit at least political movements, right? Political movements, if not political parties. Yeah. Yeah. You can, for a first level spell, this is wild (laughs) for a first level spell that a lot of different people can learn. I think we're going to find this a lot with these lower level spells because the higher the spell level, the less access people are going to have to it. And so my thought on it is that the lower easily accessible spells have a bigger impact on the greater world because if only one person has glibness th- that one person is going to do a lot of weird stuff but it's not going to affect the economy and the way crime works and right i can think of oh, one yeah. specific exception off the top of my head of a high level spell that's gonna change everything there's a lot of spells out there but you know what i'm saying I'm, I'm, yes. in, in general these low level spells that a lot of people are going to have access to as a first level spell there's a lot of classes who can pick it up no problem. And there's also a lot of people who can pick it up through a feat or even maybe have access to it through a, a racial trait. Like I think furbogs might be able to speak with animals, a limited kind of speak with beasts and plants. Mm. Those things understand your words, but you have no special ability to return to understand okay. them in return. For sure. I mean, it still creates a lot of the same circumstances. So there is one last situation that I think is worth exploring on its own, mm-hmm. which is just how much more impactful this is on coastal cities than inland. On the coast, though, you've got octopi and dolphins mm-hmm. that you could potentially recruit, like two of the smartest animals in the world. Dolphins have names for one another. They have sex for fun, for God's sakes. Exactly. Yeah. So like, you <laughs> Super know, smart. you know, they're on the level. They're real so, smart ones. Yeah. 
I wanted to just bring that up because not only is that going to be a totally different dynamic than the idea of, you know, oh, we've got these cows that do all this for us and the bears mm-hmm. in the woods fight wars for us. Octopi and dolphins might almost be peers intellectually mm-hmm. to some humanoid societies. In addition to the fact that just if you've got octopi and dolphins on your side, no piracy can't really happen yeah. anymore. You know, you yeah. know where that's happening at. So yeah. you just go deal with it. Nobody can get off a boat safely if you don't want them to. That being said, the, all of the things from previous right. at the top of the discussion exist here too. Ostensibly, yes, <laughs> you have well, control of the seas. <laughs> yeah. And the things, the thing with dolphins is that because we know their language capabilities, you don't even have to talk to all of them. You can talk to like a few of them and then they go talk to everybody, all their dolphin right. friends and communicate that. You get a whale to do your barges. They're just pulling, you're like, you got unmanned ships now. That's you just got, totally true. You don't even need to have sails or anything. You don't need sails anymore. You just, you make a real sleek, easily pulled capsule. I mean, that's submarines. That would that's be submarines. so awesome <laughs> to just speak with them and be like, hey, whale, we're going to give you XYZ yeah. or whatever else. Yeah. You pull this like airtight capsule we were able to make Do it. under the sea. And you've invented submarines in your D&D world. Yeah. Unmanned Amazon drones, <laughs> underwater Amazon drones to deliver your silks and your spices. That's wild. Well, Benjamin, I think that uh, that covers a lot of bases. I'm sure there's other bases that we didn't even think of, but uh, I think that'll probably wrap us up for this particular episode. Anything you want to say here at the end? I love this spell and I'm like really excited to hear what our listeners have to say about whether any of this interests them to pursue or other yeah. ideas about how they think the spell might play out. Yeah, same. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. This has been Dispel Magic. We'll see you again after your next long rest. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter at Dispel Magic Pod. You can find Benjamin at Sterling Vermin and Dane at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dean Fox McGraw.